9. See, this is what happens whenever Rachel starts in with her let's do it attitude. Marco complained as we scurried across a filthy floor. We end up being eaten by spiders or something. Hey, I don't see where you suffered, Marco. I said. I'm the one who can only count to five on her legs. Stick close to the base of the wall, Jake said. I don't want to get stomped. I got swatted in Flymorph, and that's enough for me. I am not getting stomped on, too. We were a little shaky, obviously. You think Tobias actually ate that spider? Marco asked. With banana relish, I said. We laughed a nervous kind of laugh and continued zooming along the rubber baseboard in the facility's kitchen. Then, an opening in the wall and we were in. I was grateful to be out of the harsh light and away from so many shoes. I spotted the guy! It was Cassie's thought-speak voice. I was puzzled. What are you doing? Axe and I morphed a Harrier and Osprey. We've been looking in the windows, trying to spot Mr. Edelman. I have him. Second floor, above the kitchen, then maybe 20 feet along the building. He's in a room with three other patients. They're wearing hospital gowns and slippers. They're watching TV. It's the show called Gilligan's Island, Axe added helpfully. Now how does Axe know about Gilligan's Island? Marco wondered. No one answered him. Okay, straight up, Jake said. The inside of the wall was a natural home to cockroaches. In fact, I noted several scattered areas of roach poop. It's the kind of thing a roach brain notices. The inside of the wall was otherwise a pretty clean place. I was standing on a wide expanse of wood. The grain was like ripples under my roach feet. A nail head protruded in front of me and looked about as tall as a tall woman. To my left and right were the backsides of sheetrock, featureless, blank, gray. We tried our feet on the sheetrock. They tended to slip. So we scuttled down to an upright beam and climbed the wood instead. Eight feet straight up, and it was weirdly like flying. I felt the ground recede way, way below me, dozens of times my own height. I knew I wouldn't be hurt if I fell, but still, hanging sideways, crawling straight up against gravity, seemed dangerous. We reached the top of the beam, and I was grateful to haul myself up and over into a space between the upright and a crossbeam. We were just beneath the floor, but now things were complicated. The space between the second floor and the ceiling beneath it was mostly blocked by a wall of wood. But eventually we found a way in, walking sideways and scraping between rough-sawed wood ends. My antennae waved wildly, trying to comprehend the long, square tunnel before me. It was almost pitch dark. Only a tiny hint of light filtered down from the floor above. And after the run-in with the spider, I was very jumpy. Who knew what might be in that vast, dark space? That light must be from some kind of crack, Jake said. I guess we go toward that, unless anyone else has any ideas. I have an idea, Marco said. We get out of here, go back to the mall, and see how many Cinnabons Axe can eat before he explodes. Oh, come on, you babies, I said, trying to sound braver than I felt. Let's go. I scuttled forward. I was walking on sheetrock that formed the ceiling below. The wooden walls on either side of me were insanely tall, 
ten, twenty times my height. But we soon reached the light. I felt better. My roach brain felt worse. Across our path lay a huge tube. It seemed to be metal and looked as big as a felled redwood. From the large tube, two smaller tubes went straight up toward a brighter light. Plumbing, Jake remarked. Sudden movement in the darkness. Ah! I yelled. But even as I was yelling, I realized what it was. A brother roach, Marco said. Or a sister. Come on, let's get this over with, I said. I scampered straight up the nearest vertical pipe, and within seconds, I was poking my bullwhip antenna out into the light beneath a sink. It's a bathroom, I reported. Come on. We piled out through the hole and down onto the cool white ceramic tile. Are we in the right place? Marco wondered. I don't know. I forgot to bring my map of the inside of the walls of the nuthouse, I said. We need to have Cassie or one of the guys confirm where we are. There's a window up there. I took off, scurrying across the tile, up the wall, and onto the wire mesh of the window. I could see light, of course, but I could not see through the glass. Hey, Cassie, Axe, Tobias, do you see a roach sitting on a window? Axe answered. Yes, I see you. You're in a small room just alongside the room where the human named Edelman is. Thanks. I rejoined the others. So, now what? Now we talk to Mr. Edelman, Jake said. We need to get him to come in here. We'll have some privacy in here. And then what? He talks to a cockroach? No. One of us needs to demorph and talk to him, Jake said. Wait a minute, Marco objected. Isn't he going to think it's a little weird, some kid appearing magically in his bathroom? It's a facility for people with mental illnesses, Marco, Jake pointed out. Who's going to believe him? I'll do the talking. I said, Mr. Edelman is my responsibility. I rescued him, and I'm starting to think I'm sorry I did. You guys stay out of the way. I'd hate to accidentally step on you. I began to demorph. The squares of ceramic tile grew rapidly smaller. I shot up and up, like Jack's magic bean sprout or something. I was about two feet tall, with skin like burnt sugar, monstrously long antennae sprouting from my forehead, human eyes, semi-human legs that bristled with dagger-sharp hairs, blonde hair, and a wide, throbbing, yellowish-brown abdomen when the bathroom door opened. A man shuffled in, wearing slippers. He headed for the toilet. He hesitated. Slowly, very slowly, he turned. My human mouth was just appearing. My lips grew from melted roach mouthparts. Hi, could you get George Edelman for me? The man nodded. Sure. He started to go. Then he turned back. Are you real? Nah, just a figment of your imagination. Ah, I'll get George. Chapter 10 I was human by the time Mr. Edelman poked his head cautiously into the room. Hi, I said cheerfully. I stuck out my hand. I'm... I'm helping your lawyer with your court case. He was startled. 
Who wouldn't be? He swept his eyes around the room as though maybe, just maybe, there was something weird about meeting me in a bathroom. He didn't notice the two cockroaches huddled together under the sink. Who are you? What are you doing here? Then he looked down. You're not wearing any shoes. Yes, I apologize for my slightly... I was looking for a sophisticated word like unconventional, but I couldn't think of it. My slightly weird appearance here. Yes, weird. He glared at me for a while, uncertain what to make of my utterly bizarre appearance in his bathroom. Then he shook my outstretched hand. I guess I'm not one to be talking about weird. Would you like to have a seat? I said, indicating the toilet. No, thanks. Again, the look that said, Wait a minute, I may be nuts, but there's something strange about this. Then he said, You're awfully young. Thank you, I said. Actually, I'm 25, but I work out, I eat the right foods, and I always wear sunscreen. Mr. Edelman, I said bluntly, before he could ask me any more questions, Why did you try to kill yourself? He sat down on the edge of the tub. I leaned against the sink and tried to look like a very youthful 25-year-old with no shoes. Mr. Edelman looked at me with confused but kind gray eyes. He made an effort to smooth his rumpled hair. And he said, I had no choice. It's this thing in my head. I nodded. Okay, yes. What thing in your head? The yerk. He made a weak smile like he was expecting me to laugh and denounce him as a lunatic. My heart beat faster and I missed a breath. I sucked in a lungful and kept my expression fixed. What exactly is a yerk, sir? He hesitated again. He was tired of telling stories no one believed. Maybe he was on prescription drugs. They do that in psychiatric hospitals. He was probably loaded up on tranquilizers or something. All of a sudden... I felt sorry for him. Mr. Edelman, I promise you I won't laugh, and I won't make you take any pills, and I won't say you're crazy. Can you tell me what you mean when you say yerk? He nodded. Yes, yerks are parasitic aliens. They enter the brain through the ear canal. They take over every function of your conscious mind. They... Suddenly, he went into a spasm. It racked his body. He jerked wildly, wrapped his arms tight together, and tried to control it. His mouth snapped open and shut like a mad ventriloquist's dummy. I grabbed him by the shoulders, trying to do something to help. But then he started raving. He was speaking in a strange, manic voice. I, 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 what? Vroom, yet, kalash, sip, sip, sip! The pool, gahal, soup, I'll help, crunch, crunch! Suddenly, he fell silent and almost collapsed. I propped him back up. Are you okay? No, he whispered. It happens sometimes. It's the yerk. You see, he's mad. Insane. He's in my head and he won't get out. But he is insane. Insane! Okay, okay. Try and chill, okay, Mr. Edelman? Yes. Yes. Look, I can't stay much longer. But you have to tell me, how is the yerk staying alive without Kenjona rays? 
You've been in here for more than three days. I cannot possibly describe the way he looked at me then. Hope. Dread. Amazement. All three. I grabbed him again by the shoulders. I know it's weird, but you have to trust me. How does it happen? Why is the yurk insane? How does it survive without the Kendrona? Andalite? Mr. Edelman whispered wonderingly. Yes, I lied. Andalite. It's the food, he said, gushing the information. The food, during the famine, after... After you Andalites destroyed the one Kendrona, we found out, they found out, that a certain food could help them get by. For a while. But there were problems with it. Ah, yes, a large water, fifth visitor. Mr. Edelman jerked and slavered and yelled for a few minutes, and I waited and worried that someone might come. Some attendant or doctor or something. But no one did. I wished I could help the man. I had spent enough time close to controllers of various types, human, Orkbashir, and Taxon, to guess that some of what he was saying was in the basic Yurk language. And the other words were Horkbashir. Yurk seemed to adopt some of the language of their hosts. The Yurk who was in Edelman's head must have been a Horkbashir controller at one point. Mr. Edelman calmed down and got control of himself again. Sorry, the Yurk breaks through sometimes. What you hear is the raving of a crazy Yurk. It's okay, I said. What's this food? The food that allows Yurks to survive without the Kendrona. They discovered it quite by accident. No one guessed what it could do. No one realized it would prove addictive. But it did. Terribly addictive. And over time, the continued ingestion of it began to eliminate the Yurks' need for Kendrona rays. At the same time, it drove them crazy. You see... It seems to literally replace some of the Yurk's brainstem. I nodded. I could barely contain my excitement. A food that could destroy Yurks. What is the food, Mr. Edelman? Oatmeal, he said. But only the instant kind. And then, only the maple and ginger flavor. He shook his head. Yurks cannot resist the addiction once exposed. And they slowly, but surely... Drive themselves mad. There are dozens of men and women like me, in places like this, on the streets, or worse. Thanks for telling me, I said. Um, listen, is there anything I can do for you? He shook his head a little sadly. The Yurks will leave me alone. After all, who is going to believe a madman? I... I am so sorry I tried to destroy myself. It all got just to be too much. This... this alien lunatic in my head. My family wanting to keep me locked up in here. Isn't there some way to get the Yurk out of your head? No. No. He will live as long as I do. I've never seen sadder eyes. I hope I never see eyes that sad again. I looked away. I just wish, the times when I am myself, when I am in control, I wish I didn't have to spend them in here. He looked out through the dirty bathroom window, with its heavy wire mesh. Chapter 11 We have our ultimate weapon, Marco reported to the others, when we were all safely assembled back in Cassie's barn. 
Maple and ginger oatmeal. Instant maple and ginger oatmeal, I corrected. Instant, Marco agreed. Cassie, Axe, and Tobias all just stared. Tobias was his hawk self, and he can really stare. Axe was in his own Andalite body, and he could stare with four eyes at once. Oatmeal, Cassie said. Oatmeal, Jake confirmed. But only the instant maple and ginger. I guess they don't know why. Maybe it's the maple, Tobias suggested. Maybe it's the ginger, or maybe it's the instant, whatever that is, I said. Who cares? Suddenly, we have a weapon to use on human controllers. A human controller who eats the stuff gets hooked, and the yurk in his head goes nuts. What we have to do is find some way to get a lot of this stuff into a lot of controllers. I took a sidelong glance at Cassie. Something told me she was not going to approve of this. But Cassie was bending over a cage, poking her fingers through the wire to check a bandage on an injured badger. To my surprise, it was Tobias who said, You know, something about this doesn't feel totally okay. You know? Marco, who had been lounging on a bale of hay, jumped up. What? What? We have green kryptonite here. We have something that can make yurks go nuts. Why is that not a good thing? It sounds to me like they get addicted to it. Like a drug, Tobias said. I winced. It's oatmeal, okay? Not anything illegal. A drug is in the eye of the beholder, Tobias argued. If you get addicted to the illegal stuff and it messes you up, that's a drug to you. If you get addicted to oatmeal and it messes you up... It's still just oatmeal, I said. Oatmeal is oatmeal. Jeez, I can't believe we're having this conversation. Look, Marco said. The bigger question here is, who cares? They're yurks. They're the enemy. They attacked us, not the other way around. What about their hosts? The humans? Axe asked. The yurks are made invulnerable to their normal hunger for conjona rays. They can live inside their human hosts forever, even if the oatmeal is later taken away. These hosts would lose all hope. If we lose this war, we're all going to be without hope, I said. Axe, I can't believe you, of all people, would even hesitate. Axe swiveled his stock eyes toward me. We Andalites have been at war longer than you. We understand the temptation to sink to the level of your enemy. Sink to the level of... I started to yell. Axe cut me off. We also know that you can't win if you are not prepared to be a little ruthless. It's a question of balance. How far into savagery do you go to defeat the savage? I looked around the barn. Marco and I had drawn closer, almost unconsciously. Tobias was up in the rafters, using his hawk senses to listen and look for anyone approaching the barn. Axe was shifting on his four legs and stretching his scorpion-like tail. Jake and Cassie were the only ones not to say much. Jake looked troubled. He was staring, but not at anything real. I could guess his thoughts. His brother Tom is a controller. But it was Cassie who surprised me. Usually, she's the one getting all moral. Cassie? I asked. What do you think? She hesitated, like she just wanted to keep tending to the badger. She sighed and stood up. When she turned around, I was shocked. She had a stricken look. 
I... I don't know anymore, okay? She said. I was confused for a moment. Then it hit me. We'd had a bad run-in with a human controller, whose Yurk was Visser Three's twin brother. This Yurk had found another way around the Kendrona. He cannibalized fellow Yurks. Sometimes, human hosts got in the way. In the heat of the moment, hearing that evil creature speak, Cassie had demanded his destruction. She'd asked Jake to do it. Jake had refused. I don't know why, but it frightened me to think of Cassie not knowing what was right and wrong. Or at least thinking she didn't know. Cassie was my best friend. I counted on her to balance me. She was supposed to be sensible when I was reckless. She was supposed to be moral when I was ruthless. But things had gotten more and more confused for all of us, I guess. Look, I said. Okay, maybe this oatmeal is a drug to the Yurks. But you know what? This is a war. Sooner or later, if we are successful, if the Andalites send help, if the human race rises up, we're going to try and destroy every Yurk on the planet, right? That's our goal. This isn't like some normal war where you can hope to make peace and compromise. We can't compromise. The Yurks are parasites. How do we compromise? Let them have a few million humans as hosts? They will never compromise anyway, X said. They must be forced back to their own home world. So we try and feed them addictive drugs, Tobias said with obvious distaste. It's oat freaking meal, Marco exploded. Cassie suddenly laughed. It was a cynical laugh. I didn't know she was capable of a cynical laugh. And all the rights and wrongs, and all the lines between good and evil, just go wafting and waving and swirling around, don't they? Jake shook off his funk and stepped to the center of our little group. I have to ask myself, if it were Tom, and it may be Tom in the end, would I do this to him? On the one hand, life as a slave of a yerk. No free will at all. On the other hand, we saw with Mr. Edelman, some free will, some ability to communicate, but with this insane yerk in your brain. So? Tobias asked him. What's your answer? Jake shrugged. In the Civil War, they were ending slavery. Most of the southern soldiers who were killed weren't slave owners. They were just guys trying to be brave. Maybe they could have worked out a compromise. Maybe they could have ended the war earlier if the North had agreed to leave some people as slaves. But would that have been right? No. So the war had to go on till everyone was free. Or dead, Tobias added grimly. But okay, that's a pretty good example. You're right. I hate it, but you're right. We have to win. I laughed, without any humor at all. I'm pretty gung-ho. Unlike Cassie. Unlike Tobias, perhaps. I'm ruthless at times. But even I have enough sense to know the words, we have to win, are the first four steps on the road to hell. And I noticed that Jake never answered himself about his brother. Would Tom be getting the magic oatmeal slipped into his breakfast? Not a chance. Jake still hoped to rescue Tom someday. And from what Edelman had said, there was no rescue from an oatmeal-altered yerk. Where do we find a bunch of human controllers sitting down to eat? Marco wondered. I sighed. The yerk pool, Marco. The yerk pool.
Hello, Phantomorphs, and thank you for listening to another episode of Audiomorphs, the Animorphs auditory experience. As always, this is your host, Daniel. Uh, not too much this week. Um, I'm very kind of tired, exhausted for a lot of different reasons. Um, but I, I did get a message from a Jewish pangolin on Tumblr. It says, hey, I'm enjoying the podcast, and I actually prefer the shorter episodes to the full book one since it's easier to rewind more precisely on them if I miss a sentence. You should still keep the bonus episodes, though. I'm sure some people prefer those. Uh, thank you for writing in. Uh, do not worry anyone who enjoys the shorter episodes, and I am glad that there are people who enjoy the shorter episodes. Uh, they are not going anywhere. Um, I'm going to still be producing them in two to three chapter chunks just for my own sanity. This is the optimal way for, for me to produce uh, this content. Anything more or less really just would fall apart. <laughs> um, and so other than that, you know, please check out my website, theapocalypse.com. That's like apocalypse, but with the D in the middle. Uh, it's got all my other projects and stuff. Uh, if you use Apple Podcasts, leave me a rating review. I sure would appreciate that. Uh, you guys know the drill by now. Um, it's not a little out of it. It's because uh, some of you, uh, hopefully most of you, uh, have been following the news and, and know that they uh, released the verdict on the cops who shot Breonna Taylor. And it's not great. It is not great. And, you know, I'm upset, exhausted, and not even remotely surprised about it. Um, I, I try to remain an optimistic person because I feel that this system really is in ways designed to uh, create nihilism and, and make you a cold and unfeeling person. And, and I don't think that's productive. Um, but sometimes I win because I'm, I'm very, <laughs> it's tiring, you know, and I can't even imagine what it's like, um, for people even more closely affected by this, but it's it's tiring to time and time again watch this play out. Um, this time, ironically enough, same day, uh, 60-some years ago, when Emmett Till's killers were acquitted. So, you know, just a perfect time in America. If I were writing this as a book, I'd say that's two on the nose, but welcome to the reality that we live in. It sucks. So, um, you know, you know the drill protest be safe uh donate do do what you can because uh at the end of the day we got to pick ourselves up and keep on marching on because that's the only way we're going to change things so there's a plane flying overhead i'm not gonna edit that out because hey why not (laughs) i'll see y'all next week my name is daniel and i believe one day the andalites will come until then we fight